the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm Paul Spain. This is episode 349 and with me today is... Matt Archer. Welcome along, Matt. Thank you very much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Now, maybe just a quick intro to let people know, where do you fit within this world of tech in New Zealand? Uh, well, I've been working with a company called Pushpay for the last four and a bit years. Um, Pushpay that no one really knew too much about a while ago has done a really great job on the New Zealand uh, type of IT front and started to get known. And, and Chris and the team have done a great job uh, type of giving us some good promotion and the like, uh, listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, New Zealand Stock Exchange, and uh, we're serving churches in the American space. So I'm the CIO of that company uh, and have seen it grow from about five or six people up to about 450 people now. So That's a fair, a fair bit of growth to, uh, to, to handle. <laughs> yeah. um, great. Well, it's, uh, it's a privilege to have you on the show, Matt, and uh, thanks for coming in to discuss the, uh, uh, the tech news of the week. Um, first up, wanted to uh, – oh, I, I will just mention, actually, before we, uh, before we jump in, um, for those who are interested in hearing a little bit more about the, the story of PushPay, yep. um, our next episode of the New Zealand Business Podcast which, uh, will be out in the next week. Um, we, I chat with uh, Chris – uh, Heslip, uh, basically the story of uh, of Pushpay, and uh, as you say, Matt, some pretty phenomenal uh, phenomenal growth there. Certainly in in terms of numbers and in mm. terms of you know valuation of the business and all those sorts sorts of things. Yeah. Um, you know, I think probably you know, second only to uh, uh, to zero in terms of um, um, being a software as a service mm. uh, tech startups out of out of New Zealand. We did so. do it. Uh about three times faster than zero. So, um, no, it's been a great, great journey. Incredible group of people there. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we say quite a bit at Pushpay is one quarter is the equivalent of a year, and it has felt like that. So, so I've been there for almost 15 years. So uh, <laughs> it's been a great time. And, yeah, Chris will be great. I think everyone will really enjoy his story. He's a great storyteller and, uh, you know, humble guy and done amazing things so. yeah really nice guy really nice guy it was uh, it was great to get some uh, some time to hang out and chat while he was uh, back from seattle mm. uh for uh, here for a few days uh so yeah jumping into the uh, the news of the the week um, tesla was i guess you know one of the one of the things that seemed to you know catch a lot of uh, a lot of people over the over the weekend with the uh, final launch of the uh, Tesla Model Three, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, over uh, over the weekend, chatted to uh, a few people that had watched the uh, the live stream uh, coming from uh, coming from uh, Tesla HQ there, you know, including someone who I just wouldn't have picked. At all having any interest in in this sort of technology, mm. um, but yeah, seem to be very very uh, interested and, mm. and and curious. So um, 
you know, I guess Tesla have sort of been talked about as the, the Apple of the um, of the auto world. Uh, there's 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 all sorts of um, you know interest in them, and they do, really do seem to be uh, stirring things up. So mm. yeah, it's quite pleasing to uh, to have the the Model Three um, unveiling kind of done because there's mm. lots of info that. Uh, uh, that wasn't uh, finalised and and confirmed until that happened, um, and uh, and you know now that information is all uh, is all out and about. What's your take on uh, on on the launch, Matt? Because um, yeah, I guess yeah, you spent time between New Zealand and the, and the US, and uh, mm. um, no doubt some experience with with with, with Tesla. Um, over the years, what's what's your pick? Is this the sort of vehicle you uh, um, you think is going to change the world? I think Elon Musk is going to change the world. I mean, the guy is just a, a phenom. I think he's everyone keeps referring to him as the, as the next Steve Jobs, and and you know and the, the clever thing is people think that he's selling cars, but he's actually selling batteries, right? And he's selling all the pieces of the puzzle to for us to go and live on Mars. So I think. I think that's that's a great a great story to get part of, and certainly in uh, Seattle, which I've spent quite a bit of time up there, you know the the culture for Tesla is huge, um, and in the uh, one of the malls up there, there's a Tesla shop, right? You can walk in, it's you know the same place where the Apple shop is, and there's Tesla. You can pick your color and your style, and and a lot of people have them, especially you know the Microsoft people that have exited with shares. You know, there's a lot of Teslas and a lot of electric cars. And I think it's great that, um, you know, down here in New Zealand, we've, uh, you know, we've been picked as one of the countries to, to launch it. And I think that's a great testimony to the fact that as a country, we adopt tech quite quite well above our, our weight, really. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's going to be good and uh, good for the country, good for, for us as an innovator and as a leader, you know, world leader again, I think it's great to be able to have some of those and and to enjoy this part of, you know, the world world technology, you know, journey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty exciting time as is, is, you know, we've moved from our traditional combustion engine uh, vehicles into a, electric and it, you know, it seems like it's really picked up so much pace very quickly and now yeah, vehicles that are very much uh, you know software software driven. Mm. I guess that's the you know, that's the area where um, you know I personally, personally uh, yeah, feel quite a lot of confidence in the approach that uh, that, that Tesla's taking. Um, one of the things that we didn't wasn't finalised until the weekend, or it wasn't you know public, was what. Uh, what the the um, yeah battery was going to be able to deliver in terms of the distance you'd be able to drive with the right. Model Three, and um, yeah, just to fill people in, the Model Three is is what's being called the sort of the mass market Tesla uh, here in New Zealand, sort of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars starting point for the Model S, uh, Model Three launching at thirty five thousand. US dollars. Of course, there's a few add-ons that uh, most people will, will probably do, so they get access to the autonomous uh, options and so on. Um, but that the base Model Three is going to launch with um, a range of about 350 kilometres uh, to 220 miles. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's a it's a little bit um, slightly further than what the initial uh, estimate was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think. Yeah, 
by by a fraction. I think the, the initial estimate was 215 miles. Uh, and then there'll be a $9,000 US um, upgrade you know, option when you're purchasing, which would bump you to a uh, 310-mile range, which is 499 yeah. kilometres, which is... Uh, it's, it's, there, it's, right? that's that's you know pretty good I would imagine for uh, for what most people would uh, mm. would need to be able to do and of course these things vary according to how you use them so if yeah. you've got your you know foot to the floor uh, you're not going to be driving quite as uh, quite as efficiently won't um, quite get you to Wellington though still will it no you'd, you'd you'd be needing to stop along the way <laughs> interesting on that front I uh, I pinged an email off to uh, the 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 Tesla uh, PR folks who. Um, yeah, at this stage, all of that's managed out of Australia, hmm. uh, and uh, fair to say they haven't completely got to grips with uh, with New Zealand yet, uh, because I I asked the uh, the question about when's Auckland going to get some of these superchargers, hmm. and the cool thing about the supercharger is that a um, uh, a a vehicle like the Model Three can be charged in un, under an hour, like a full a full charge. Wow. Uh, so you can get a, I think it's something like one hundred and seventy uh, miles of range off thirty minutes worth of charging. Wow, that's great. Um, so somewhere along those lines, don't don't take my numbers for for granted on these things. I don't always get them right, but um, yeah, very very fast, very fast charging, and so. The, you know, what about, you know, when are we getting more of these and when does Auckland come into the picture? Because yeah. uh, it would be quite uh, convenient to have, yeah, some uh, some superchargers around Auckland mm-hmm. for, the, for certain scenarios. Um, and uh, the, uh, the commentary came back, well, there's four of them already. Um, and uh, the suburb mentioned, well, they didn't refer to it as a suburb, but they mentioned the location, and then they mentioned Hamilton. Um, so uh, a, a, a small mix-up there, um, easy way to uh, to offend a few Kiwis. I don't know how the, the Hamiltonians would feel about being called part of Auckland. Interesting, though. I mean, almost, you know, I think from a, from a business opportunity point of view, mm. um, you know, if, if you could get a bit of an idea of how many of these things were going to land in the country and you could potentially set up some of these supercharging stations you know on some of the main state highway one setups you know you, you know you could set up a cafe or a restaurant or a something where you can potentially take even more money off people while they plug into the supercharger yeah get a yeah. bit of a bit of sponsorship from tesla to help their brand i mean there could be a an opportunity there to help help with our long distances on some of our runs and also yeah, I would imagine if you're if you're in one of those key locations, it would be uh, to be worth, you know, if you've got a cafe or what have you. Um, it, it could well be worth, yeah, re- reaching out to uh, Tesla and and just letting them know you've got a yeah. you've got a good good location uh, that you know they do tend to want to set up a lot, and you've got ChargeNet or you know that's got a growing network around the country and mm. um, other charging you know op- options uh, for power companies too mm. uh, so uh, thing, things are improving but the uh, the supercharger network is exciting just because of the the pace at which it's charges but also in the US now there's so many Teslas mm. that people are starting to uh, complain around the fact that they uh, they turn up 
yeah, supercharger station is actually full. Uh, you know, they can't actually get it charged. Wow! Uh, so that you know that 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 pressure's come on, and you know will will continue to do so. Mm. Um, and then I guess the other side around the the charging is you know, maybe the big cities aren't quite as critical, but if you want to do, for instance, you know, mention a Wellington to Auckland type journey or. Mm. Christchurch to Wellington and so on. Then you need those stops in the the key locations along the way. So, mm. you know, in the in the North Island, for instance, uh, you know, Taupo uh, would be a pretty important place to, uh, to to have that. For instance, and the question would be who's going to pay for these charges, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, in, in our user pay society, everyone would say, well, if you you know, if you're a Tesla type of owner, you should pay a premium for a charge, but. You know, at the end of the day, you know who's going to who's going to shell shell out for these things. We're going to need quite a few of them. It's going to. You know, I saw when I was in uh, in Tauranga down in Bayfair, there was there was you know a number of charges there, and that mm. type of makes sense. Drag people in uh, into the shopping mall, you know. Uh, but you know, I think it depending on what the cost of these charging stations. Well, well some are, of them are pretty expensive. I think. Um, what the charge net guys um, saying? I think. Uh, maybe in the direction of 85 k. I think I might have heard on the on the NZ uh, EV podcast. Wow. Uh, so people that are really interested in this stuff, definitely um, make sure you're subscribed and listening into the New Zealand EV podcast. Uh, yeah, which we've just launched weekly. That's a, at this stage coming out with fortnightly episodes. Mm. Um, there's all sorts of cool stuff in there, um, and certainly they they dive into some of those realities of mm. you know setting up. Uh, charges and you know the associated challenges and the petrol stations. Not, petrol stations are not going to be interested in doing it, are they? I mean, well, they, 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 they might be uh, because you know, ultimately we're not we're not going to be needing the mm. petrol station mm. as it exists today. Once True. we flip over, and I think it's. Uh, uh, we've got at least one or two countries now that are talking about a cutoff date mm. uh, for you know, petrol vehicles when everything needs to be electric. Uh, France, I think, twenty forty. There's, but there's, right. th- I think that stuff will just that that'll increase. There'll be you know, all sorts of legislative changes that that start tipping the balance, mm. uh, and things will probably move pretty quickly. Uh, it's twenty nineteen, I think, is the uh, if I'm getting my car companies right here. I think is. When Volvo, uh, every vehicle will be electric in some form, or the, either they're hybrid or pure, pure, pure electric. Wow. Um, so things really are uh, picking up a lot of pace, which is it's great. Uh, it's pretty exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. Um, now on that front, um, there has has been a bit of media coverage around where we're heading in New Zealand. As far as um, safety for solar battery packs mm. in the home, and so uh, Tesla have their uh, their power wall, which allows people that uh, maybe have solar on their roof or um, you know some sort of wind power, etc., uh, to be storing that, storing that power using their uh, their Tesla power wall. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, the power wall is some uh, some pretty cool. Tech, but you know, basically, uh, big batteries. So you can mm. you can store that power. In case of a power cut, then you're in a good position as well. Um, and there's been uh, discussion that um, in New Zealand, and I'm just trying to find the um, the info here, but but basically, 
that the legislation that's being uh, proposed in New Zealand around safety would say that you can't have your Tesla Powerwall um, inside your house right. because there's a, con- a concern about maybe it'll catch on fire or you know that it will be unsafe. Now, I've not heard of this happening anywhere else in the world, and of course... It's reasonably common for people to park their car, you know, in the garage that's attached to their house and it's full of petrol and what have you. Um, Or if you've got an electric car, Mm. um, then it's going to have more, you know, if you've got a Tesla, it's got more batteries in it than your Tesla uh, Powerwall. Yes. Um, So, yeah, this this is a... a, um, an odd sort of conundrum, and it's unclear why uh, this would have been proposed that you'd have to move that power wall outside or build, you know, some separate um, sort of I don't know, shed type scenario to uh, store it in. Does that sort of add up to you at all? No, no I just I, that sounds typical nanny state crazy. I think, <laughs> and when you think about how many uh, how many villas are there, you know, around the country that have got wiring that's over fifty years old, you know, and uh, you know, I just think there's so many other other things which are likely to, uh, to create, uh, you know, hazard potential danger for people, and mm, mm. and you know. I think that most of the battery technology we see nowadays is pretty well insulated. If it's not a mm, mm. A, uh, a cell phone that's catching on fire and being recalled, but uh, you know, I think with something that significant, you know, there's there's absolutely no benefit uh, to the Tesla people in cutting any form of corners around insulation. You know, one of those things that goes wrong is going to really majorly damage their primary industry, which is battery supply. So, you know, I think Elon Musk would be the first advocate for making sure that things are as safe as as can be made. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that what we'll probably like to see is, you know, nowadays everyone tends to, if no one wants to take a risk, you end up insuring out of the risk, right? So, you know, I see that potentially... You know, you have to get a different type of insurance policy, perhaps, or there'll be mm, mm. some caveats, or you know, the insurance companies will get in and take a, a clip of that ticket um, in order to make you know the nanny state housing inspectors you know feel a little bit more comfortable. But yeah, yeah, the info I'm, I'm just a little bit more here is saying that um, uh, comments that came from uh, Ministry of Business, Innovation, and Employment. Their um, point was that Standards Australia is responsible for developing this um, uh, this new standard of of battery safety. So that's where where it's coming from. But it seems to be you know fairly uh, you know widespread that uh, you know people don't think this is a great idea. It wouldn't apply retrospectively. It'd be f- for the future. Um, and um, yeah, from Standards New Zealand perspective, they uh, they're basically saying that uh, that this isn't something that they're going to comment on, but that it is you know this is all draft stage hmm. uh, for now. So uh, when you I mean, think my, about my hope is that uh, yeah they don't go too over the no. top with this sort of thing. It just it'll it'll stop a lot of people uh, you know bothering to jump into it if it's if it's too hard to get on board. I think there's also a lot of legislation that's already in place, right? I know um, I had a friend who was wanting to put in a nanny, you know, a granny flat 
underneath mm. underneath their place. And, you know, there's some pretty strict fire codes. You know, you're not allowed to put, uh, you know, hobs and, and, and cookers and things, and you have to have particular, you know, fire-rated walls, you know, in kitchens and in bathrooms. You have to have, you know, moisture-rated walls as well. So I think there's enough, there's enough uh, safety pieces that's already been built into the building code that they should just pick one and say, look, make sure it's got a firewall against it if that's the concern and mm, a smoke mm. detector or something. And, yeah. you know, hopefully we'll see the end of that. Yeah, now, um, virtual private networks, VPNs, mm. uh, been very common in parts of the world where maybe they don't have complete internet access. Uh, China, very common. Mm-hmm. Um there has been news now that um, Apple have gone ahead and actually removed VPN uh, applications from the App Store for their Chinese uh, user base. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and they're basically citing, well, that's that's the law in China uh, now. And so that just makes it... Uh, just that bit harder for people that are in China now mm. to sort of bypass the limitations of the the Great Firewall of China, as it's uh, mm. uh, as it's often referred, that restricts open internet access for those who are in China. Mm. Uh, and you mentioned before we we've started around. Uh, the reality that uh, Russia is heading in this direction as well, mm. which I, th- I think is is quite a worrying, um, you know, is quite a worrying development mm. uh, that they're they're moving in this direction because I think there's yeah there's there's been some some concerns about the direction mm. of of, uh, of Russia from a, a you know various political standpoints I, I guess in <laughs> in recent years and uh, this w- will just make life harder for uh, uh, for people in in Russia right mm. um, as as it will for those in China to actually um, you know get access to uh, what should be pretty free flowing mm. uh, information? Sure, there is there is debate around certain types of content and whether it should or shouldn't be uh, censored. You know, child pornography, things like that. There's you know um, that that's a, another debate. There, but this is you know pretty broad censorship that mm. happens in uh, uh, in China, and uh, there's just, there's just so much that isn't available to mm. them. Uh, and it's just it's going to make it that much harder for people. Hmm. I think uh, you know it's pretty well uh, known in the development world that Apple um, is a bit of a law to itself. You know the decisions that it makes generally don't. You, you know you very. Uh, it's unlikely you ever get a an appeal on a decision that they've made, and they're very clear on 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 how their. Apple Store and their technology has to be uh, how you have to develop and work inside of that world. Once they make a decision, it's it's pretty much cut and dry. So uh, obviously they've been leaned on by the Chinese government. But yes, yeah, the thing that I think is potentially the the most concerning from a security point of view is that um, if people can't 
go and get a VPN client, you know, through the Apple Store, um, I, I think that th- that we are likely to see a lot more of the jailbreaking, um, you know, approaches that really we haven't seen that where where people find ways to free themselves from the shackles of Apple. And you know, once people do that, you know, historically there used to be a lot of other features and a lot of other other reasons to do that. You could do things with your Apple device that you couldn't do previously, uh, but it also allowed you to have access to uh, to the world that Apple liked to control. So you could go and get you know software that you didn't pay for, or you could you know you could hack your Clash of Clans and get more gems and and, yeah. and w- work around the edges. Yeah. Um, the problem with that though is as soon as you start to open up those those protection controls, which which Apple have been very good at at keeping people safe, right, and, mm. and providing mm. a, a culture of safety with their architecture, if they're going to start to to be manipulated by governments, the likelihood is that we're probably going to see a lot more people depart from the Apple safety net so that they can run, a, you know, their own VPN and off a jailbroken device. And well, so, much, probably much easier for people to use an Android device exactly. uh, to get what they want because it's – well, let's just say it's a, it's a lot easier from a security perspective to do to do what you want, uh, yeah. and also leaves you at uh, yeah, it's fair to say it leaves you at more risk, I think, too. But so we'll see. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Now, free antivirus software from Kaspersky, um, and yeah, some listeners will recall the the, the chat I had um, some some weeks back with uh, uh, Kaspersky. The Kaspersky, Eugene Kaspersky, who's the uh, uh, the founder and CEO there, um, they have Kaspersky have decided basically to move into offering free antivirus suite. It's kind of interesting because you've usually had to pay for antivirus. Now there was uh, there was one product, I think AVG, that was broadly available free mm. in the market. I don't generally recall that them offering it free generated them a whole lot of uh, business in terms of paid subscriptions mm. but here we see Kaspersky have uh, have jumped in and they're offering it in uh, New Zealand uh, US Canada um, I think maybe some so they're going to launch some other other regions uh, fairly soon uh, it's already been available for uh, on a sort of pilot base, I think Russia, Ukraine, um, China, and um, and in Scandinavia. Hmm. But yeah, I'm kind of kind of curious about uh, about this approach. Do you think hmm. it's uh, it's a smart move for them? Well, it's probably it'll be driven from a business perspective, I'm sure, to get more subscriptions and to grow grow their uh, footprint in that in that world. Um, I think that. It is. It's likely to bring more drama or risk long term. I think, you know, being in in the IT world, having an antivirus product is super important. But what's even more important is to make sure that it gets updated, right? And not only the virus definition files, but also the version, you know, of of the product. All as the well. elements need to be and right on point in terms of being current, don't they? Otherwise potentially having an old antivirus piece of software that's a couple of years old, people feel, oh, I'm safe, but if it's not providing you the protection, 
um, all of a sudden you end up getting crypto locked or someone steals your files or something goes mm. wrong and you can't mm. quite work it out. Yep. Where, you know, I think what a lot of people maybe don't know is that, you know, Windows 10 has has a you know an antivirus product um, that that gets updated the the definition files get updated as part of the Microsoft automatic updates and the and they'll update the engine as well and you know they're continuing to to grow and trying to lead in that space as well and for my two cents worth I would be more directing people to say, well, you know, if, if all of the updating things are all being looked after by Microsoft, what do you get above and beyond that to go to Kaspersky? And I think that if you were to have a look at it, you're probably not going to get a lot more. You may, you may in a year or two, be in a worse position. I mean, out of the gates, they're going to want to make sure this is a success, make sure that they can sell more professional licenses. And, you know, if they're smart, they'll work really hard on their PR to make sure it's a really good product. But it's, it's pretty hard to make money as a company when you're giving away things for free. So will, it, will the free product get the same support as the paid product? You know, I just I. There's got to be a variation between the two, and there's got to be some track to try and get people off the off the free one onto the paid one. Otherwise, why why would you do it in the first place? Isn't that? Yeah, um, and then Kaspersky have have had these challenges, much like we've seen with a number of well, you know, yeah, some some of the Chinese firms where you know and and I think it's pretty hard to know how accurate these are but you know just commentary around concerns about them being a Russian company and whether they're right. they're tied uh, you know back to um, the the you know federal security uh, Russia's federal security um, service uh, um, there so you're saying FSB. we should just hope Trump keeps building those ties to make sure it has American oversight uh, it's just it re- it really clouds things because I think it throws people's confidence and then you know and yeah it's ki- it's kind of hard to know where to stand and I think yeah you know, most people want to be quite you know we, we're talking about security software here people want to be on the safe side so yeah. very easy for people just to write off the product and that could be you know completely uh, completely un unfair mm. uh, but in in reality, you have to you have to weigh up these considerations mm. and uh, and and make a call. And look, if you've got uh, the software on a huge percentage of uh, computers, and it were to you know tie back to a um, a government that you don't have a lot of confidence in, then mm. uh, then that's not ideal. Mm. Um, but you know, then again, you could say, well, we have similar risks with. Any any other country, and uh, yeah, we've already had uh, dramas with FBI, the FBI having uh, having their own uh, tricks for, uh, for for spying on uh, on people's uh, well on people and, yeah. and on their and on their devices. So um, it's it's not that simple, is it anymore? And also, I mean, the thing as well as is. You know, you've got other other things that aren't virus related, right? Spyware and malware and some of these other things, which, again, you know, I think people need to stay as vigilant as they can with this stuff. And there isn't ever going to be a single bullet that just fixes everything. And maybe this will allow people to invest more money in other products that mm. that that 
keeps them safer. Who knows? Yeah. Well, there's so many aspects to uh, to cyber security, right? It is uh, it's a re- really challenging area. Um, you know, one of the things that that we do at Gorilla uh, is we go into firms and we we audit where they're at and you know across their their technology how good a fit is that technology for their business what risks do they have and mm-hmm. so on um, and we recently completed uh, doing one of these audit and analysis uh, uh, projects with a uh, a local entity and yeah was when we, we were we were quite shocked but they'd been hit um, on yeah, multiple occasions. Wow. Um, you know, with uh, with ransomware, you know, style attacks, and yeah, I guess when 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 you don't see much of that, yeah. uh, if your environments are really well locked down, you feel well, you know, actually, yeah. um, there are a lot of organisations at risk, and uh, and and some of them are, you know, some of them get hit. You know, not just once, but on on multiple occasions. So, uh, um, yeah, I think we we've got to be careful not to become uh, too too uh, too relaxed. If uh, if maybe you haven't been hit, you think you'll never be hit. Well, uh, it could happen, and um, yeah, you never know what the uh, what the consequences are if you haven't uh, you haven't planned planned accordingly. But yeah, a lot of it does come down to uh, being very well prepared and and following appropriate best practices. Mm-hmm. I think that's key, as you say, the plan is key, right? And I think the plan that you put together to secure mum and dad's, you know, notebook and they only ever go on Netflix is going to be a different plan that you need if you're, if you're running an international manufacturing organisation with, you know, 50 people, you know, and I think that, you know, I think business owners hopefully starting to understand that it's much easier just to get other people to look after the plan, right? So, mm. Mm. Um, well, that, and that's uh, that. The, I mean, introduced to say that you know, with Gorilla, what we've traditionally done is uh, you know been the one-stop shop for running uh, the technology services for sort of smaller to medium mm. organisations. But we've realised now that, and, and part of it's because of cybersecurity, part of it's just because of you know the pace moves so quickly. We've realised there's a place for for us to uh, provide oversight for organisations who actually have their own internal IT teams, mm. um, but they find it very hard to keep up with the play, mm. manage things, deliver the level of service that, that they need. So, um, yeah, it's been quite interesting exploring you know, exploring that and looking at what's a good fit. Um, now, one product that I did see last week is Samsung's new um, mm. frame, their picture frame uh, TV. It's been launched here in New Zealand They've got two sizes, a 55-inch coming in about $4,000, 65-inch coming in at $6,000. So these are not cheap TVs, mm. but, boy, they, they look they look Great, good. Eh? If you don't like yeah. seeing a TV on the wall uh, when, when it's not on, mm. uh, these look really nice, and you've got these nice wooden frames and so on. Uh, they come with the uh, the mounting so that they can basically flush mount right. You know they can be pushed back right against the wall. Uh, they come with with those pieces, so yeah, your electrician I guess needs to uh, you know mount that inside the inside you know set back in the wall a little bit so you can have it flush mm. like a picture. Nice. Um, and boy, yeah, spectacular. I mean, I've, you know, we, we've heard of people like Bill Gates having you know having his walls with these yeah. uh, you know. Um, you know, that that style of of uh, display for mm-hmm. for a long time, um, 
but yeah, it's it's good to see that uh, now becoming uh, available for mm. those that are, uh, are willing to uh, to splash out the funds. But yeah, the idea of having a TV that you know sometimes you have those cabinets where your TV can slide down and hide out of the yeah. way, and yeah, varying other options. It's kind of uh, I think this is a pretty pretty slick option, mm. and when it's not a TV, yeah, you, it turns into a picture frame either with some you know fancy you know like a fancy print on it or whatever, or, or it could be your own photos that you choose to put on there. That's um, great. Yeah, I remember when um, when LCD uh, screens first arrived, I was looking after um, about half a dozen furniture makers and. Uh, one of the uh, one of the the companies that was selling a product called Chevello, uh, they they did the modular um, you know stations Cam- for people to right. you know workstations. Okay, yeah. and they built uh, the LCD screens actually into the workstation. So this was you know from the days when we had those twenty nine inch you need three people to lift them right you yeah know, massive CRT, CRT monitors yeah and they were seeing a fifteen to twenty percent decrease in office space so you could get twenty percent on a big floor that you might be buying it on the Price Waterhouse Cooper's Tower at premium real estate you could actually pack in another twenty percent more staff with this new technology so you know I think that every time these people innovate you know the 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 vendors innovate do something flash i think you know there's potential there mm, i'm mm. still waiting to see um get get them to deal with the need for a 240 volt input right i mean these things are not running on that they they've got step down technology to make it run equivalently off a battery you know and you know we're all type of flipping ipads and the things around i think being able to peel a screen off the off the wall you know and go and stick it velcro in someone else's room or yeah. you know i think i think when we get to something like that things will start to innovate again but certainly if you're going to start paying for the technology it's got to look good because the people with the coin have got to finance the the r&d so mm, mm. And it does look really good. They look fantastic. Yeah, and they've built they've built in a. Uh, it's it's got a sensor, so it picks up how much light is in the room. Right. So if you've got a dim room, then you know the backlight on it's not you know very strong and mm. uh, and so on. So it it adjusts quite nicely. So mm. pretty cool. iPad, uh, iPods. Have you got an iPod? In your I house. Used, I used to have an iPod. Yeah. I think there might be one with a broken screen sitting at the. The bottom of a cupboard in a in an office somewhere, but but you know iPhones have been part of our our world, and my kids have iPhones, and my mum and dad have iPhones, and the one person who doesn't is my uh, my wife, who is is a farmer type person. She builds fences and and uh, drives cattle trucks, and she wants something she can run over with a truck and chuck in the water, and literally, you know, the bulletproof Nokia is her her flavour. So yeah, nice. She's our last bastion to to convert. <laughs> but, uh, well. iPod Nano and Shuffle been ditched by Apple. They're gone. Uh, we're down to two iPod uh, touches now. Um, so the world is uh, the world is changing. Looks mm. like um, you know, the the days of the iPod are, uh, are uh, pretty much uh, mm. pretty much numbered. Mm. I think. I mean, things are getting so cheap now. That, um, with with teenage kids who you know keep needing to get 
their phone replaced. You know, there's some of these parallel importing places now where you can buy refurbished phones. Like, I think we purchased a, an iPhone 5S for $230. Wow. You know, with a 13-month warranty and, you know, yep, yep. and, you know, and I think we, we, we brought an iPhone SE, which has got the iPhone 7 technology in it for like 300 and something dollars. Mm, mm. So I think, you know, from a from a support point of view, I think Apple are interested in, in probably continuing to chuck things, you know, off the wagon. Yeah. And when Steve yeah. Jobs came back to, to, you know, Apple, once he had been fired, the first thing he did was just chuck out 90% of all of the things they were working on, tried to focus things in. And um, I was having a bit of a look, actually, at some of the numbers um, around iPhones that have been used. And Apple haven't released anything in the last year, but July last year, they crossed the 1 billion iPhones in the market. And half of those were from the iPhone 6 up. So, you know, I think there's such a market there. Potentially, you know, there's other parts of the world are really still adopting the 4s, you know, because the, they can get them for sub $100 now. And, you know, I just think that they want to focus on iTunes software and make the money off that. And they need a device that can run iTunes the way they want to run it. And with the smaller devices, they've got to keep stripping out all the cool stuff, all the videos and all the podcasts have got to go because it's too hard to make them work. So. Mm, mm. Well, it's interesting. You know, I guess the iPod has, has been a little bit of an entry point for some people into the into the Apple world. But mm. yeah, now it's probably much more more common for somebody maybe to, to get introduced to the Apple world if they haven't had an iPhone before. Mm. Um, by something like a hand-me-down device or, as you say, a low-cost second-hand uh, iPhone, mm. and that gets them started. And then, you know, of course, over time, they probably end up buying a, um, yeah, a another one and another stage. one, new device, what have you. So mm. it just uh, it keeps that world uh, moving and, and continuing to be pretty profitable for Apple. The other thing I've also seen, you know, on, you know, the iPods and the little MP3 players is there's so many of them coming out of China now. Yeah. You know, yeah, so many of the yeah. clones that you can get for $15 or, you know, and, and why would you pay $50 for an Apple branded thing if you can get something that looks absolutely identical, but is easier to run, you don't need iTunes, you can get it for $15 from, you know, one of the online Chinese retailers. So I think they probably just thought, well, for the, for the effort, you know, people are probably buying a lot of the cheap, cheap nasties anyway. So, you know, if they want them, they'll go and get them, and they mm-hmm. can. Now, on to interesting uh, news that uh, that I saw the other day through um, uh, CIO um, New Zealand was uh, that the warehouse group have. Uh, jumped on board with Zoho One and uh, the headline referenced it being called Operating System for uh, for Business. And for those that don't uh, know uh, Zoho, um, they're a pretty big um, provider of uh, software 
know, software as a service model. They've offered uh, email services that compete with uh, Google and uh, with G Suite and with Office, Microsoft Office 365. Uh, so they've got their own sort of equivalents of, uh, yeah, email apps, uh, you know, their uh, Word and Excel competitors and so on, uh, document spreadsheets. Um, but they've also got a whole big suite of other bits and pieces from ticketing software uh, to CRM. And I mean, there there is loads within their within their suite, um, and the fact they're now wrapping all of this up um, in an offering whereby an organisation uh, buys it, you have to buy it for every single user, regard every single person in your organisation, mm. regardless of whether they use it. But I think the the, the figure that was mentioned is US thirty dollars, mm-hmm. just gives you access to this massive suite of cloud mm. um, software. I think. Um, it's it's the overall capability they give and this yeah pretty competitive price point um, that is, is probably what's uh, what's pushed uh, the warehouse group to uh, to make this jump. I don't know which parts of it the warehouse group are going to be uh, going to be uh, utilizing. They seem to have moved pretty quickly, hmm. so I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, and you know, I think this is pretty pretty common with large organisations uh, if they've been cut a you know, very lucrative, you know, a very a very good good deal. So it's uh, it's pretty mm. low cost for them to get on uh, on board. Mm. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on uh, on this? Because you know, Zoho doesn't get a lot of press; they don't get a lot of attention. They're not out there doing a huge amount of uh, advertising, mm. but um, yeah, they've been working away on you know on some products that are you know are not too bad in a lot of cases. Mm. Well, I think we've seen uh, we've seen a, you know a competitor come into the market. In particularly around email, something that Microsoft owned for many years uh, with Exchange servers, and we just thought Exchange was going to be here forever. And uh, then this this crazy mail client called Gmail came along and mm. didn't work the same, and it didn't look the same, and it didn't like Outlook, and it just felt like, you know, why would you use this if you'd used Microsoft Outlook? The the experience was just so subpar. But you didn't have to spend huge five-figure sums to set up your business with email. You could actually spend comparatively little. Mm. Um, and, you know, for those of us that spent many years becoming, you know, exchange gurus, um, you, uh, you thought, well, they're never going to make it. But they did, and now Gmail is huge. And uh, people who are familiar and have grown up working in Microsoft environments still struggle with the Gmail interface because it is so radically different. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it, it poses a good question, uh, you know, what do you really need to run your business? And I think when you look at some of the competitors in that space, the sales forces and, you know, these big ticket global alternatives to, to, to the tools that you need to run your business, a lot of the time, people aren't using 95% of them. Mm. You know, they, they, they use an Excel spreadsheet for the purpose of putting numbers in and running the sum command, right? Um, and that's all probably a large chunk of people need. Well, why do you need to spend so much money if that's all you're using? And, and, and Google's done a good job of articulating that at a level. And I think that, you know, Zoho have the potential if they do what they do well and they don't let people down and they don't, 
you know, and by letting people down, you know, you can't lose people's data. You can't allow things to get stolen and you can't, you know, um, you can't drop the ball. And I think, you know, the guys at the warehouse are, are brave <laughs> to have a crack at something <laughs> like this. I hope they've got some great support around them. But, you know, at the end of the day, $30 a month is not a lot if that's going to be your entire spend per head. And, you know, it could be a could be something that we look back in a year or two as, as something that really contributed um, to their profit baseline, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the guys at the warehouse will, will make a big deal and the, and the Zoho guys will be part of telling that story as well. So, so I think we've seen it before, you know, disruptive behavior is the hardest thing to, to pull off. Um, but if you do pull it off, you can see enormous growth and enormous return, sometimes in a very short period of time. So I'm really interested. I'm I'm really keen to watch it and see how it goes. Yeah, it's it's uh, it is a it is a curious move. Uh, you know, I imagine you know, what it will allow them to do is just to is to you know jump into some new uh, tools that they've they've been wanting to use, but mm. you know maybe because of their scale weren't affordable to access uh, mm. any other way, and this just gives them access to a, to a uh, you know really really big um, suite of of tools. Um, in a manner that's affordable. So, we'll, and I hope we'll they give us some good. I hope they really give the industry some some really good feedback about it. I know, you know, these things are often type of the story gets told when the game gets won, right? But yeah. I think that there's an opportunity for the the community to participate in the journey and and hear about the small wins. And it'd be great if they were, you know, if all the people involved could could update the community as they go mm. on it, because mm. I think there'd be a lot of interest uh, in the process yeah yeah uh now norton uh commissioned a little bit of a uh a little bit of research here in new zealand just around how people use wi-fi now imagine that uh you know the the reason they they would be doing this to uh i mean you know semantic you know which is which is their uh uh, parent, uh, obviously, they're a, they're a, you know, focused on cybersecurity uh, products and offering. Norton being their uh, their, their consumer uh, brand, they sell their own uh, VPN tools, so it makes sense for them to look into this stuff. But I found the uh, yeah the the findings were kind of curious. They um, surveyed about a thousand uh, New Zealanders about their habits with public Wi-Fi mm. uh, usage and. Uh, a few interesting facts: twenty percent say they've accessed somebody's uh, Wi-Fi without asking for permission, um, and twenty-two uh, percent of those say they would do it again. Uh, not not really uh, a particularly safe practice in in, uh, in this day and age, um, and thirty-seven uh, percent of. Um, uh, re- respondents with you know they were um, uh, you know will it, what they were sort of uh, well were saying that they'd be willing to do uh, sort of anything to um, uh, get access if they connect to a Wi-Fi and it you and it asks them to do something right. um, other than just you know um, asking you know for simple permission. So yes, yeah, some quite interesting stats. Um, the NBR sort of wrote up a little bit of a, a, a story um, 
on this. So yeah, that's it's uh, it's it's worth a read for those that are interested. But you know, I guess the the thing for our uh, listeners that I wouldn't I would encourage, is, and most of our listeners tend to be you know reasonably uh, you know up with the play on these things is just. You know, if it's your friends and, and family, just encourage good practices, and you know, uh, avoid uh, you know, wi- certainly Wi-Fi that uh, um, y- you're not authorized to use for starters, um, and utilizing uh, VPNs when you're using Wi-Fi is uh, you know is a really good way to minimize uh, risk, and you know, I think we'll start to see more and more issues uh, coming from. Uh, uh, activity over mm. over Wi-Fi, so uh, mm. yeah, just just be cautious there. Um, now we uh, we had a little uh, a little giveaway uh, last week. We mentioned it on the show for people uh, people that are on my uh, my mailing list at paulspain.com, my email list. Uh, that we would be offering them a chance to uh, win one of Vodafone's new handsets, uh, the Vodafone Smart. N8, uh, which is a really slick little handset, $199 or the Vodafone Smart uh, V8, uh, even nicer. That one comes in at $349. We have two winners to announce. Uh, Keith Hardy uh, has won the N8. And Peter Whelan has won the uh, V8. So, uh, congrats to those listeners, and thank you very much, uh, Vodafone, for uh, uh, for allowing us to uh, to give those handsets away after we'd had a little bit of a, uh, a look at them for the show. Um, Matt, you had a little bit of a, a look at the uh, the two handsets before. What were your yeah. thoughts? I think again, things are just getting so cheap in this space. It's just crazy, and uh, beautiful phones. I mean, if you go back. You know, two, three years, both of them you'd expect would be up around about the $1,000 mark and, you know, quite legitimately so. A lot of processing power, good cameras, good screens. It's, um, it's you know, it makes you wonder why you'd, you'd invest a whole lot more money. Uh, it's going to do the job quite well. And if it, you know, if it drops and breaks, you know, you haven't invested a whole lot of cash in them. So, yeah, I think these would be the sort of devices that, uh, you know, are good for somebody that doesn't need the absolute, you know, top end name brand uh, device. Uh, and also good for those who are wanting to give out a lot of handsets across their organisations. Mm. Um, it's a reasonably you know, cost-effective way to uh, uh, to do it. And if you know, Android is the platform that you're using, then um, you know, these, are, these are pretty good, uh, mm. pretty, pretty good handsets for, uh, for the money. Um, I think that's it for this week. I would like to talk actually about Logitech Spotlight presenter that I've been playing around with. Um, just a quick mention of that. Um, those who do, uh, do do, you know, Presentations and public speaking and so on. Probably pretty familiar with Logitech being the main, um, you know, player in terms of their uh, um, their little. Uh, what do you what do you usually call them? I'm trying to uh, clickers and yeah. you know things for basically advancing your your, your slides. You usually got a laser pointer yeah. on there and so on. Um, and they've been, yeah, they've been around for years and they've been good, but they've launched this new one, the Logitech Spotlight Presenter. Um, I haven't um, had a huge amount of experience with it yet um, but it's got this 
interesting feature where they've moved away from a little laser pointer, which was the old school, um, to where basically you've got a, a software pointer on the screen, mm. and uh, wherever wherever that is, you've got a big dot that basically moves around and uh, and lights up the part of the uh, the screen uh, that you've got it pointed to. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's Bluetooth connected. It's got a little dongle thing there with it as well. Um, but for those that are that are that do lots of presentations and public speaking, uh, or those that are you know looking after technology in an organisation, uh, and you know, you're wondering what what's the right uh, kit to have in your meeting rooms and boardrooms mm. and so on, uh, this one's probably something worth worth giving a try to see whether it uh, whether it fits. Um, I would like to see maybe some other um, settings around um, how you the the the, the dot that uh, displays on the screen screen or the, the I guess a bit more like a spotlight yeah, and, a and, uh, and hence their name spotlight presenter mm. um, and maybe that's that I just need to dive into the software a little bit more for what you can do in terms of adjusting that uh, that contrast uh, but looks pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah um, all right well that's us for this week thanks everybody for uh, for listening in uh, look if you don't subscribe to my uh, my weekly videos I should mention uh, those you can catch those um, either and we'll have a have a link up on the NZ Tech podcast uh, page or at paulspain.com uh, but my videos are now coming out weekly, little sort of three to four minute videos. Uh, they go up on Facebook or on uh, YouTube. Last week I was talking about the the announcement that we didn't have a chance to dive in and talk about it today, uh, but Amazon are understood to be sort of jumping into the healthcare space and are doing a whole a whole lot there with uh, with medical records uh, is the other rumours and also around artificial intelligence and healthcare mm. which is absolutely uh, fascinating mm. in terms of what's going on there the ability to uh, um, you know catch diseases before they would be caught in, in other ways and uh, how artificial intelligence is being in the UK uh, used in the UK uh, to uh, to catch age related macular uh, degeneration before mm. uh, before people go blind which uh, right now a lot of people are, uh, are being impacted by that so uh, yeah those those videos could be uh, could be of interest to um, uh, listeners all right well that's that's us for this week now um, Matt where do people track you down are you uh, uh, you on Twitter or LinkedIn yeah, or where's I'm, your uh, place I'm, online I'm on LinkedIn also on Twitter um, Matt A.O. Fact is my handle <laughs> nice um, easier to get hold of me with mattarcheronline.com it's just a blog that I run and links to all the bits and pieces there great so I love uh, love flying drones and other bits and pieces so yeah cool Love to connect with anyone who's got similar passions. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, thanks very much for uh, for coming on the show. Thanks and, for having me. It's um, been a great time. Look forward to uh, catching up again soon. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.